Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. And welcome back to Talking Money. So glad you're with us today. We've got uh, some discussions going on about estate planning, and I've talked a lot about uh, different things that uh, you need to consider with estate planning. The next thing we're going to talk about is the seven, seven big estate planning mistakes that Bob Carlson wrote about back a couple of years ago, but I saved it because I think it's great information. The first mistake he talked about is relying only on a will. So, of course, that's important. Everybody has a will. Either the state wrote it for you or it's one that you had written on your own, an attorney drafted for you, and I think that's important. But there's other documents. So you've got a power of attorney, and I would say a durable power of attorney, and that's the document that allows somebody to act on your behalf if you become incapacitated. Not if you die. If you die, the power of attorney is no good anymore. But it's a durable power of attorney is the one that's it's good. You don't have to go through the process of being uh, named a conservator or having a doctor deem you as being uh, incapacitated or incompetent. Uh, somebody can use that durable power of attorney document even right now. That's one of the reasons why I have to be so careful. I had one attorney that uh, named it the take, it, take you to the cleaners document. So it's one of those documents that they can use. So you want somebody that that you trust very much that's only going to use it when they need to use it uh, and not wait till you go on a trip for two weeks and then you come back and uh, they've transferred assets or sold things or did some things that you would not have wanted, which they, with that power of attorney, uh, could potentially have done. And then you have advanced medical directives. So that's the, the health care power of attorney that we talked about. Uh, that we talked about many times, talked about it again before the break, and that's the one that uh, it's your your medical care, what you want to do, not done. Uh, without those documents, a lot of actions had to be taken. A court appoints someone to to act for you. Uh, it could have been somebody you would not have selected. Doctors will take actions that they deem best, even if it's not what you would have decided, and you would have put your decisions inside that document so that you could. Uh, essentially be telling the, your your loved ones and the doctors, the medical staff, what you want to do. And, of course, now a will, just to remind you, a will doesn't cover assets that have ownership by contract or by operation of law, as it said. So that's going to be things that, that don't go through the probate process in. So things typically that don't have a um, – that have a beneficiary – so an annuity. So one of the positive things about annuities, and if you listen to me and Talking Money for very long, you know how I feel in general about annuities and my problem still more with how they are sold than, than the actual product itself because I think the products can have value to them, but they're, they're sold to many, many people that I think don't understand them and don't even need them and have too much of, of one thing. So annuity, though, one of the advantages is going to avoid probate because you have a, a named beneficiary. Life insurance is another thing, another 
contract document that's going to be passed on by way of the beneficiary designation. So no matter what your will says, no matter what your will says, unless the life insurance named the estate as the beneficiary, which is not a bad thing to do, it's not a good thing to do with a um, retirement account, an IRA, a 401k for tax consequences. You don't want that money going to the estate like that because then it's going to be taxed completely different than if it went to an individual. But because there's a named beneficiary on the life insurance, the annuities, the retirement accounts, 401ks, IRAs, things like that, uh, even jointly owned property, we'll talk some more about that, but jointly owned property, when one of the joint owners passes away, we're not talking about the uh, property that is uh, joint owned like um, somebody would have a, a business and you have joint owned that property with uh, a, a business partner. We're not talking about that kind of joint ownership. Uh, we're talking about jointly owned property that is uh, by right of survivorship that the surviving owner is the automatic owner of that property no matter what your will says. So all those things, your will might say, I want uh, my children to get their money when they're 25, a third of it when they're 25, a third of it when they're, let's say, 35, and I want the other third of it to not be given to them until I feel like they can be responsible for the money, and I know they're responsible by then, so I'm going to wait till I give the last of it to their 55 or 60. Of course, for some people, that's not even old enough for them to be responsible for their money, but you get the idea. You might have that spelled out in your will, but that's not going to matter if they get the assets by way of a beneficiary designation through the annuity, the life insurance, the IRA, the 401k, uh, or if they have to be joint-owned property. So if if you own a property jointly, and let's give this scenario. Let's say you are the uh, one of three children and the other two children live out of state. And uh, your mom's getting elderly and she decides that she would like to have you, being the, the local child, to handle all of the different uh, financial affairs that she has, uh, maybe even paying her bills, taking care of things. So what she does, you go to the bank and you, she puts you on the bank account. And she likes to keep a fair amount in that bank account. So maybe she has twenty five, fifty thousand dollars uh, as a good cushion so that you have plenty of money to pay the bills and so forth. So if that's not set up correctly, if it's set up like a joint ownership, as opposed to just being a power of attorney over those funds, which means you don't own them, you're not joint ownership, you just have access and the power to access the funds and pay bills from and take funds from it, put funds in, that kind of thing. If that's the way it is, then then you pass on. Your will says that I want all three of my children to get my assets divided equally. Well, that asset that's joint owned by the, the child who lives locally is joint owned so it's going to automatically go to the other surviving joint owner child. Well, that child could say, okay, yes, I think mom wanted um, this asset to be trans- uh, transferred just like the other assets and give out uh, money, a third of it, to the other two children, although they don't have to. They, they could say, well, wait a minute. No, mama said she wanted me to have this money. Because of all the extra time and, and effort I'm spending taking care of her, 
that the two children who are out of state don't do. And, and I think, in actuality, that's not a bad thing to do. When you have one child that's taking care of you, then you ought to somehow reward that child. Now, that child may decline it and say, no, I'm still going to do everything and divide it equally. But that would be one good way, one way anyway, to, to reward that child or help compensate them for the extra time and effort they spent taking care of you for who knows how long. In some cases, it's six months. some cases, it's six years, ten years. They're taking care of you, and, and they don't get any benefit from that. They're doing it out of love. But the other two children got it made. They don't have to do anything for the mother, and they still get – they hardly even come visit sometimes. So that could be a way to equalize the estate. But you just need to remember that the asset, because it's joint-owned, is going to go to the surviving joint owner. So there again, as opposed to tenants in common, which is the, the joint ownership that you would have perhaps between business partners, between uh, two non-related people, that uh, non-spouse-related people who own real estate together, let's say. You own your half, they own their half. It's not an automatic thing. Your half would still go through your will, your estate, your probate, if you are tenants in common as opposed to joint ownership with the right of survivorship. So there's the differences between those two, and I think it's important to understand how that works. All right, we're talking about estate planning. We're talking about the seven uh, big estate planning mistakes. We're really going to cover six of them because one of them doesn't apply anymore. So we get back from the uh, break. We'll talk more about the power of attorney. We'll talk about uh, how not avoiding probate can, can be an issue. We'll talk about all those things. Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Send an email to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. And you're also able to go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com if you want to hear some, hear, want to hear this particular program again because you didn't quite catch everything. You want to make sure you understood what I'm talking about. Or if it's another subject you want to learn more about, we've got a lot of different topics on Talking Money. It doesn't cost you a thing. It's all free information. And hopefully you'll get a lot more than what you paid for it. So, Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com or TalkingMoneyRadio.com. There's another place to click on Ask Mike a Question if you go there as well. All right, we'll be back with Talking Money in just a few minutes. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for Talking Money. I'm pleased to have Ronald Blue Trust sponsor Talking Money to help educate listeners about financial planning so you have the information needed to help you make more informed and hopefully better decisions. When a Ronald Blue Trust advisor meets with prospective clients, their goal is to determine if any of our services are a good fit for them. They don't sell any products like annuities or life insurance, and as a fiduciary, work to serve your best interest. Perhaps you just need a financial physical from the Everyday Steward Division without any ongoing monitoring, or you're about to retire and need to work with the Private Wealth Division to map out a financial path and then help implement and continuously monitor that plan. Ronald Blue Trust Advisors act like your quarterback, coordinating the advice you receive from your accountant, your state attorney, life insurance agent, and in some instances, even your investment advisor. You can learn more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. 
And welcome back to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for today. We're talking estate planning, wills, trusts, and so forth. We were talking about jointly owned property versus um, beneficiaries of life insurance policies, IRAs. Another point I wanted to mention before we get off that is the, the transfer on death or payable on death. That's another way to transfer assets that aren't typically passed by a beneficiary. So you may have, a, let's say, a bank account, a money market account, something like that, uh, even a brokerage account that is not an IRA. And you would like to have it pass without going through probate. And you don't want to do a living uh, trust. You want to do anything like that. that and we'll talk about those uh, at a future talking money. But the, the one way to do that, if it fits, and you have to be very careful with, with using these pro, these types of transfers because you got to remember it doesn't go through your will. So if it doesn't go through the will or probate, then you've got a potential issue that it's not going to go exactly where you want it to go, especially as a backup. They can they can work pretty well as the initial beneficiary, but what if that beneficiary passes before you and you don't change that payable on death or transfer on death uh, document to have it updated to somebody who's currently living that you want it to go to? You can have a contingent beneficiary, a primary and contingent. You may have all those covered correctly. Just be really careful, but you can't put it into a trust. You can't. I mean, if you could name it to a person, of course, it's not going to go through the will. Not going to be set up in a trust. Um, you can have it named to a trust, but you might as well go ahead and put it in a living trust to begin with instead of having it just go to the trust at your death through what's called a, a pour of a will or something like that. But the transfer on death, you simply go to the bank and say, I want a transfer on death document, payable on death document, and it'll look like a beneficiary form. And you say, okay, I want to make sure. And, and when I talked about before the break about the mother who was taken care of by one of her three children and because that account was joint owned by them, they're the automatic owner of it. They don't have to share it with the other two children when mama passes away. One way to make sure that, so yes, I, I definitely want them to have this asset to help pay for all the time and energy they spent taking it out of, away from their own life to take care of me. Then I want to name a beneficiary. I want to, I'm going to do a payable on death document for that bank account. I can still give them power of attorney. You can sign a document for the bank to say, yes, they can access this account just as if they were you. But upon your death, the payable on death document would then be in place. And then you can have the money go to the children. And then, of course, it would be obvious to the other children that you wanted them to have it unless they thought you coerced mom into doing it. There's all kind of things that can happen with, with estate planning and money that, that you can't, it seems like you can't be foolproof on all this stuff. Uh, but at least you would show some indication that your interest was to give those particular assets to that child because you named them as a, as a payable on death person. And, and something else to consider when you're when you're looking at a document, uh, an IRA, 401ks, and uh, annuities, um, the, especially the annuity document. Those, uh, the annuity document does not get a step up in basis at death. So if you had a regular brokerage account and it had stocks in it, and and let's say over the years you you'd paid $50,000 for all the stocks that were in there they were now worth 100,000 so you had $50,000 of gain in that stock and you had a payable on death so you had it going to uh, either a spouse 
or you had it going to a um, child on a payable on death, then if it was in your name by yourself and you had it going to your spouse, even if it went to your spouse by way of your will, that's that's okay. They get a step up in basis, which means when they go to sell the assets in that account, the income tax is essentially wiped clean. So if they sell the whole thing for $100,000 and you'd paid fifty, it was worth 100000 when they died, that $50,000 would not be included as taxable income on their tax return the year they sold that. Now, if it went up more than $100,000 by the time they sold it, from the time that person died, then yes, there would be taxes on the gain above that. But for whatever it was worth at the date of death, you get a step up in cost basis for that value. So if it's a if it's a an annuity and you say, Yes, I want to get this annuity because it's going to grow tax deferred and so I won't have to pay taxes on the earnings until um, until I pull the money out. Well if you die and the children then pull the money out, it does not get a step up in basis, they'll still pay taxes on that gain at their own tax bracket. So that's one of the one of the negatives, yes, it's going to bypass probate because it has a named beneficiary but you're still going to have to pay the tax whoever gets it is going to have to pay the taxes on it same thing with IRAs the IRAs don't get a step up in basis it's if it's a Roth IRA the basis is already the same because you've already paid taxes on that so you don't have to get a step up in basis on a Roth IRA but a traditional IRA whomever gets those funds is going to have to pay taxes on it if it goes to the estate it's going to have to be paid within uh, within just a number of years if it gets paid to a child now they have to take it out within 10 years based on the new regulations we used to be able to take it out over your lifetime but they not that the kids would but those who, who were smart enough to do that can now stretch it out over 10 years but they can't take it out over their lifetime anymore but they still have to pay taxes on the whole amount so it doesn't get a step up in basis. So one of the advantages to to stock, uh, long-term capital gain type property, real estate, stocks, those kind of things, that you you may not be paying the taxes on it either. Some mutual funds are going to pass through some of those gains, but a lot of the gains are deferred. And so it's unrealized gains. Those unrealized gains, when you pass away, your, the, your heirs, whomever gets those assets, is not going to have to pay taxes on it because they get a step up in basis. Okay, hope that makes sense. If you've got questions about that, of course, you can always uh, send that question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com, and we'll we'll pick that up at a future show. Or wait till next week. We'll answer estate planning questions next week as well as we continue our conversation about this all-important topic. Well, the, the number two mistake that Bob Carlson talks about is expecting too much from a power of attorney. So he says it can take time and some effort to convince a financial institution to accept a power of attorney and the designated agents. And we've seen this happen multiple times where you have a power of attorney document and the institution wants to see that document. They want to review it. And, of course, that's you really want them to do, to do that because you want to make sure that the person who has that power of attorney is the one who has that authority to do it. And it's not somebody else trying to take that place of that person who shouldn't be doing it. So it's it's not a bad idea to send that off to the power of attorney. I think it's also a good idea because of the issues with some custodians is to go ahead and have uh, their particular power of attorney document completed. It's not as good, not as thorough, but I think having that document in their possession as their 
drafted document. I think that can be an important way to smooth line to, to uh, streamline things at uh, when time you need it. And we're talking. We're not talking about when you die. Now we're talking about before death, taking care of your financial affairs because it's a power of attorney. Once you pass on, the power of attorney is no good anymore. It then goes to the personal representative who is named in your state as the one who is supposed to take care of this. Next week, we'll talk some more about not avoiding probate, uh, leaving assets outright to uh, adult children, not making the full use of a living trust, some of the other mistakes he mentioned. He talks about portability of a spouse. We won't talk about the unused exemption too much for that. And then leaving a messy estate. We're also going to talk about estate planning as it relates to uh, widows. What kinds of things should you set up in place to make sure that they are, t- are well taken care of? Just like everything else, though, as we wrap up today, if you have questions or want to learn more about any of the topics I covered in the program today, reach out to your financial planner, your advisor, CPA, tax attorney, whomever it is you trust for those kinds of, of conversations. I, believe, I, think, I, I really believe, however, it's very important to work with an advisor who shares your values, your biblical worldview. So for more information about that, please call me, Mike Miller, 800-588-PLAN. That's 800-588-7526. Or send an email to mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. Once again, that's mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. Thanks for joining me today. We'll talk to you next week for the next Talking Money. <laughs> 